And we're in Matthew tonight, chapter 6, in just four verses. The second in our new series looking at the Lord's Prayer. And we're considering some prefatory comments that Jesus makes both in Luke last week and now in Matthew before he dives in to actually give uh, um, the Lord's Prayer as a pattern and guide for prayer. And so tonight, Matthew 6, beginning in verse... And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing, not only on the reading, but now the preaching of it. Well, when I enter uh, the supermarket and I pull out the cart to place my, my daughter in, and you know, you put down that little plastic comfy uh, seat cushion thing that they have, and immediately you're reminded of the proper way to put an infant inside one of the grocery carts. Actually, what they usually tell you is the way not to do it. Right? The big X's over these little pictures tell me, okay, she's not supposed to be standing on the back or hanging upside down from it. I was going to put her in that way, but thankfully, I've been given the red X. So now, it's not until I get to that green circle where I, I see, oh, her legs go through the slots there, and the buckle goes around her waist, and she faces me. Ah, got it. Not this way, not this way, but this way. So, oftentimes... Uh, The best way to learn how to do something is to be told first how not to do it. And that's the approach that Jesus takes when discussing prayer as he kind of launches into this discourse on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And in one sense, it's kind of frustrating for us. We want to know how to pray. Come on, pastor, help us how to pray. And last week you didn't help us. Last time we just talked about how we need to pray. And now we're going to talk about how not to pray. But this is the way that... Jesus guides us. He makes us slow down. He makes us take a beat. Before we learn how to pray, first we are reminded that we need the desire to pray, that we must have a heart for prayer, but we're still not ready yet. Now we are told how not to pray. And Jesus gives two examples of bad uh, prayers, bad prayers even, um, that would have been well known to his audience. Hypocritical prayers and empty prayers. Uh, The hypocritical uh, the, the, the prayers of the hypocrites, they're hypocritical because they're directed to man and not God. We'll see that's the primary issue. And then the empty prayers of, of the Gentiles, they fall short because while they're directed to God and not to man, they're directed to a God that those people don't even know. So in, in the, the how not to pray of, of our lesson today, we are um, conversely given something of a how-to that we should pray to God, pray for, for God, not for those around us. And the God that we are praying to, we need to know him. We need to know him. 
We know these, these types of prayers, though, that Jesus critiques, that he condemns even. They were well known to his audience, but they're well known to us. Perhaps we have even prayed them ourselves at times. But knowing the bent of our hearts, Jesus gives this instruction for us so that we can be well aware of the prayer pitfalls that we often fall into and seek to avoid them. So the first thing he says is that God wants honesty instead of hypocrisy. In our approach to prayer, honesty instead of hypocrisy. And we're considering verses 5 and 6 right now. You notice he calls attention to the hypocrites, likely the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day, who love to make a good show of of their religiosity, of their piety, by praying in public. Now, let's just say right from the offset, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. Uh, We're grateful for people who are willing to to speak up and and to pray aloud for our benefit in in church and prayer meetings, maybe at a, a wedding reception. Somebody has to pray for the meal. We want people who are comfortable praying out loud, maybe at a city council meeting. I get emails often and being invited to pray at the... Uh, an invocation prayer at the um, start of city council meetings. The issue is not so much, uh, uh, the, the, or the question isn't in front of whom are we praying, but for whom are we praying. The, the, the question isn't who's around, but who's it for? Who's it for? Even if there are a lot of people around, who is this petitioner petitioning? The issue that Jesus is highlighting is that these hypocrites pray, what does it say in verse 5, that they may be seen by others. It's interesting the term that Jesus uses, hypocrite. It comes from the Greek stage world. It's the word for actor. Somebody wears a mask and, and pretends to, to play a part. What's the part that this person is praying, playing? They're, they're playing the part of being religious, of being pious, that they really care that much about God, but that's just the mask they're wearing when other people are around and everybody scurries back home and and they go to the privacy of their own home and they take that mask off and we discover, well, they're not pious at all. They're not religious at all. They don't care about God at all. They care about you and me. They care about what we think of them, but not so much about what God thinks of them. It's a performance. And so that leads to the first distinction between honest, true prayer and hypocritical prayer. A hypocritical prayer is concerned with what happens horizontally and not so much vertically. The act of prayer for the hypocrite is all about what's happening around him, not what's happening up above him in the heavens. Uh, We can all fall into this temptation, wanting the recognition of men more than we want the acceptance of God. And that's because what happens on a human plane happens so much more quickly and instantaneously. We, we get that immediate gratification. You know, somebody comes up uh, to us, oh, that was a beautiful prayer. And we're thinking, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Great. And yet, when we focus things on our vertical relationship with God, we don't often get that confirmation or that affirmation. Uh, D.A. Carson, though, wrote that the person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he is less interested in God's approval than in human praise. Not piety, but a reputation for piety is his concern. He doesn't want to be pious. He just wants people to think he's pious. Uh, So, friends, let's remember that when we're concerned primarily about tickling the ears of people around us, then you can be certain that God's ears have shut you out. 
That's why Jesus instructs us to pray in a room with the door shut. Cut out that temptation entirely. The temptation of, of, of uh, people applauding you and, and praising you for your, your amazing prayers. The logic makes sense, right, of what Jesus is saying. Prayer is meant to be an, uh, really an entirely vertical exercise anyway. So if nobody's there, it doesn't matter. Because that's not what it's about. So I think if we find we pray far too little when we're alone, then when we're around others, this is something I struggle with too. If I take an inventory of my life, wow, I, I, I pray a lot. I do pray a lot, but do I pray a lot alone? Hmm. If we find that we pray too little when we're alone than when we're around others, the reason may be because we pray too much like these hypocrites. Only concerned with what people think about our praying, but not about the God who actually hears prayer. And so the key to honest prayer, as opposed to hypocritical prayer, the key to honest prayer is to start praying when nobody can hear you, when nobody is around, to ensure that you're having a genuine encounter between you and God. The honest petitioner has a prayer closet The hypocrite sees no need for one. So a challenge for you this evening. Well, I'm giving you the challenge tonight. Something for you to think of this week. Establish a prayer closet. Maybe you have one. I would love to hear about it if you do. Uh, But if you don't, establish a prayer closet. It might take some creativity and depending on our various callings in life, solitude can be really hard to come by. Moms know what I'm talking about. Um, But J.C. Ryle reminds us that when a person has a real will to find some place where he can be in secret with God, he generally finds a way. And and it makes me think of that wonderful story of uh, John and Charles, Charles Wesley's mother. Do you know this story? She had nine other children besides the two of them. But when she was a young girl, she vowed that she would commit herself uh, to spending more time in, in prayer and in Bible study than in entertainment and in leisure. And even amid the most complex and busy years of her life as a mother, she, she still scheduled two hours each day for fellowship with God and time in his word. And she adhered to that schedule faithfully but the challenge was finding a place where she could actually do that without being disturbed by the children. So, so what did she do? She would grab her Bible, she would sit down at the kitchen table, and she would take her apron and she would throw it over her head. It became something of her own tent of meeting, her own tabernacle with God. But everybody in the house, from the youngest toddler even to the adult domestic helpers, they all knew what it meant. If, if, if Mrs. Wesley has the apron overhead, you better not disturb her because she's meeting with God. And I think to myself, well, if Susanna Wesley can find a prayer closet, so could I. A hypocritical supplicant won't, but an honest sinner must. So there's a distinction between honest and hypocritical prayers. Hypocritical prayers are concerned primarily with this horizontal relationship, not the vertical one. There's a second distinction between hypocritical prayer and honest prayer, and that is this, that hypocritical prayer is a rewardless endeavor, but honest prayer receives gracious gifts from a heavenly father. 
It's because honest prayer actually engages the Lord that it does something. Uh, but since hypocritical prayer is not for God, there's no hope in him answering it. As one preacher has said, the moment the hypocrite says, Amen, he has already received everything he will ever get for his prayers. And so, friends, the question is, why not pray honestly, then? Why not? It may not be flowery. And even if it is, others might not hear it. But God will hear it, and that's what matters. And he rewards those who who seek him. The reward of a righteous person's prayers is that the prayers will be answered. What's better than that? That God actually will answer our prayers. You remember the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? Going into the temple and the Pharisee, uh, he takes his stand before an audience of other self-righteous Jews. And and he does what Jesus is saying. Don't do this in Matthew 6. Well, this is what the Pharisee does, right? I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. Which, of course, entirely missed missed the point. In reality, he was like other men because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. While he might have fooled others, while he might have fooled himself, he certainly did not fool God. But it's the tax collector who came as he was, and we're told he even stood far off in in secret, maybe, we wonder. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't even look up to heaven. Beating his breast, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what happens then in the story? Do you remember? Jesus asks the question, which one of these men do you think went home justified? That's the reward to end all rewards. To know that you have a right standing before God. To know that, that, that you belong to God and you have the status of, of his child. You've been bought with the blood of the lamb. And nothing can revoke that. Nothing can change that. And, and that reward comes as an answer to prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Hypocrites don't pray like that. But humbled, honest sinners do. And when they do, they get this reward of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus wants honesty, not hypocrisy in prayer. We need honesty, not hypocrisy in prayer. So, teach us how not to pray. Don't pray like a hypocrite. Well, there's a second thing. Don't pray the way the Gentiles do. We're looking at verses 7 and 8. Jesus is not thinking of people from different ethnic backgrounds when he says this. Um, but people who have no legitimate relationship with God, and I think the King James is better here, where it says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. Heathen. The idea of a heathen praying is nonsensical, right? How, How can somebody who does not know God, who rejects God, engage with God? He can't. The most he can do is heap up empty phrases, just kind of blabber and blather on. That's why the second thing that Jesus wants in our prayer life is earnestness instead of emptiness. Honesty instead of hypocrisy. Earnestness instead of emptiness. Earnestness means it comes from the heart. It's wholehearted. It's heartfelt. You can't be wholehearted for God if you're a heathen because you don't even believe in him. You don't even know him. And yet people are trying to claim that you can Pray to a God you don't know. Uh, that was the title of a, an opinion article published May 2nd in New York Times. How to pray to a God you don't believe in. The author, 
a professor of philosophy, uh, uh, professor of philosophy over here at the University of Michigan, is a practicing Jew but a non-believing Jew. He thinks that there is meaning in saying prayers to a God that you don't think even exists. And why is that? It's not because the prayers do something, but it's a form of escapism. This is what he writes. Let me read a section of this article. Our family recently switched synagogues. At the old one, the service was mostly in Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew. I know how to say the prayers. I just don't know what they mean. So at synagogue, I would sing along and let the words wash over me, and I like that. But at this new synagogue, we sing a lot of the same songs, say a lot of the same prayers, but they're in English. And I find that almost intolerable. Because as it turns out, I like my religion inscrutable. Because I just don't believe the stories that we tell. And hearing them in English forces me to confront that over and over again. But still, I pretend. That's the word he uses. I pretend. And I don't plan to stop. Because pretending makes the world a better place. Maybe that will be on a bumper sticker soon. When it feels like the world is falling apart, I seek refuge in religious ritual. Not because I believe my prayers will be answered, but the prayers that we say in synagogue remind me that evil has always been with us, and yet people persevere, survive, and even thrive. And so I take my kids that they may feel connected to that tradition so that they know the world has been falling apart from the start and that there is beauty in trying to put it back together. Talk about emptiness in prayer. The delusion to think that praying to a, to a God that you don't believe in, that you don't think even exists, somehow can, can, can be what puts the world back together. One thing will put the world back together, and that's when Christ comes and makes all things new. And he's a real God, he's a real Savior, he's a real Redeemer, and he offers that we can come to him in prayer anytime. Prayer does actually change things. Prayer isn't a form of escapism. But we're confronted with this question. Do you believe in the God to whom you pray? It's the foundational aspect of true and meaningful prayer. Interestingly, scholars have noted that in the Sermon on the Mount, in this section in particular, Jesus continually comes back to the notion of God as Father. God is Father. And the difference that, that he seems to be stressing in the Sermon on the Mount, the difference between a disciple and a Pharisee or a hypocrite or a heathen, is that the disciple actually knows God as Father. And when you have God as your Father, that changes everything, doesn't it? You don't have to put on airs for your Father. He knows what you're like. He knows who you are. And he still loves you. How much more true is that of our Heavenly Father? And so earnest prayer, wholehearted prayer, begins in knowing that we're speaking with our loving Father. And here's how this plays out. Here's the thing. If you don't believe that God is your Father through Jesus Christ... And you find yourself in a time of need and you find yourself compelled to pray, but you don't have that starting conviction, that baseline conviction 
that God is mine because of the work of Jesus Christ. Here's how it plays out. You're going to try to win God over in your prayers. Your prayers will be a pathetic attempt to get God to, to, to like you. That's what these heathens do. Did you notice that? Verse, the end of verse 7. Don't heap up empty phrases like these heathens. For they think they will be heard, that is by God, for their many words. They don't know him as father. I don't need, um, you know, when I'm texting my dad or, or sending an email to my dad, I don't need a long uh, a preface that, that kind of extols him for how, for how good he's been over the years and, and how much I appreciate him and, and, and try to butter him up so that he'll receive my request. I say, hey, dad, can you give me a call? Hey, Dad, we, we've got some issues. I want to talk to you about them. Sometimes I just say, what's up? Now, I'm not suggesting you say that in your prayers to God. But the point being, when you know you're speaking with your father who loves you no matter what, and I know we have so many families here that are blessed, children that are blessed with fathers that love them no matter what. When that's your starting place, then that, that would change the shape of your Prayers. The, the heathen, they heap up empty phrases in the hopes that they'll be heard for these words. That They're saying, I don't know this God, but hopefully I can woo him with my eloquence. Perhaps there will be something to the form or the beauty of my prayer that will make this God that I don't know want to know me. But the earnest believer knows that the shape of our prayers cannot make them more efficacious. The earnest believer says with John Bunyan, the best prayer I ever prayed had enough sin to damn the whole world. And yet God heard me anyway. So, how you pray has everything to do with knowing the one to whom you're praying. If your status as a beloved child of God has been secured through the work of Christ, then an unpolished prayer isn't going to threaten your relationship to God or make him more or less likely to hear you. He hears you because of Jesus. The, the well-pleasing son, and you are in that son. You're well-pleasing also in the sight of God. And so we should be cautious uh, about vain repetitions, empty phrases that we might heap up in the, in, in the hopes that, that, that God might be more interested in hearing us because we sound pious. Again, the first issue with hypocrites is, is praying to the audience instead of God. Here, or here this issue is, is not really understanding the God to whom we're praying, and so we do weird things, and we're, we're not ourselves in front of him in prayer. And that can take all kinds of manifestations, this idea of empty phrases or, or vain repetition. Uh, maybe we preface every single sentence with, Oh, Lord. Maybe we underscore every request with that meaningless adverb, just. Oh, Lord, just go deeper. Oh, Lord, just be here this moment and just... Just have your way with us, and we're just hoping that you would just come now to us. Are we? Tr- who, what? What are we doing? Why are we trying to sound different before God who knows everything about us? On the other hand, thinking that God hears us because we use a, a flowery you know, prayer book written by the Puritans, that's also vanity. Similarly, trying to interject scriptural language into our prayers because we think 
it will make God think better of us, rather than because it's just the language we have. Some people, it's just scripture just pours forth. Right? And that, that should be the goal for all of us. But we don't want to try to co-opt passages of the Bible to make it seem like, okay, this prayer is really going to make it to heaven because I put in a few verses. Well, Helmus Abrakel gives three instructions. Actually, he gives like seven or eight, but I'm going to only give you three about uh, the proper way in which we can come to God. Be on guard against routine in your initial address, against always using the same terminology. A second, do not use pompous words in prayer, nor merely link one scripture passage to another without any meaning. And third, you must also not take great pains to express yourself fluently. And that was the one that was so interesting to me. He says, be careful not to express yourself so fluently. So many of us are averse to prayer because we think we don't have the proper words to speak before God. We think we can't pray right, but that's missing the point of Jesus' teaching Empty prayers are concerned about trying to, to impress God with our language, but earnest prayers don't even think about that. Earnest prayers say, he's my father, and I'm just going to be myself before him and tell him how I'm feeling and share my heart and know he's going to accept me. That's such a wonderful comfort to prayer. This is an encouragement to pray. This is not meant to discourage you or depress you or think, I've got to start from scratch with my prayer life. This is, this is God's word saying, just come to him as you are. Do you pray earnestly? Or are your prayers empty like the heathens who don't even know the God to whom they're praying? A praying to a God you don't believe in is a delusion. But friends, to pray to a God that you do believe in, a God who is a father, that's deliverance. It's deliverance from ourselves. It's deliverance from our sin, from our sorrow. Empty prayers are just that. They're empty. They're, not, they're, they're nothing. They, they can't do anything for us. But earnest prayers are effectual. They actually do something because in, in earnest prayer, we bear our hearts before our Father and we have the confidence that God has answered us before we've even asked. On the other hand, when we use empty words and we're saying things we don't understand, we have no such confidence. Thomas Watson, a lovely line from his book, The Godly Man's Picture, He that prays he knows not how shall be heard he knows not when. Translation, if you're just interjecting a bunch of fluff in your prayers, trying to sound pious and holy, you have no confidence when you'll be answered. But when you come earnestly, what does Jesus tell us? Your Father who's in heaven, he already knows what you're asking for. He's already heard you. Isn't that a wonderful promise that Jesus enjoins to earnest prayer? Hudson Taylor, he was the famous 19th century missionary to China. Uh, He faced one of his greatest ministry challenges in 1859 when the man who ran the mission hospital was called back to Europe, back to England, I believe. And not only was he the doctor that ran it, but he was the financier. And so with him not there, uh, they weren't sure after some time if they would be able to keep this hospital open. The future of the work was in jeopardy. And Taylor didn't have any idea how God would provide for the hospital, but he was convinced that he would. He met with the staff, and he said, look, we can close down, but I, I would really love us to kind of to, to gather around and to pray that the Lord would, would preserve this. I don't know how it would happen, but, but are you with me? And the staff said, yes, let's do it. And, and they continued on as long as they could, but they were running out of, out of food, out of supplies, 
and they didn't have any money to buy more because this financier was gone. Eventually, the day came when they ran out of food entirely, the last bag of rice. And on that day, uh, there was something else, though, a letter from England enclosed with 50 pounds sent by a new donor. And there was a letter there that this donor wrote where he shared how he had come into a large sum of money recently, and this was just the start. He wanted to finance this hospital. He just sent along this as sort of a deposit, but he was going to be sending all of the rest in future days. But the amazing thing is this, friends. They looked at the letter, and it was postmarked days before the crisis even began, before that initial doctor left and went back home to England. God had answered their prayer before they even had the opportunity to pray for it. They learned something of what we're told in Isaiah. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. They're learning what Jesus is saying. Your father, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. What a father we come to in prayer. And so, friends, do it. Don't come with any pretense without hypocrisy. Just come as you are. Which is to say, come as a sinner. Because he is the Savior. Come as a, as a poor creature because he is the almighty creator. And come as a needy child because he is the great gift-giving father. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so good to us in that when we come to you earnestly bearing our our souls before you with our many needs, we have this confidence that you know what we need before we ask and you have begun to answer it before we have asked. We thank you for your kindness, your grace to us. Would we learn then Uh, from the instructions of our Savior, what real prayer looks like, that we wouldn't do it for others, we would do it for you, and that we would have the confidence of who you are. You are our Father, and that's what makes all the difference in prayer. pray that you would make this so for us. In Jesus' name, amen.